Welcome to It Just Makes Sense. A podcast by two easily distracted, higher educated former lovers. That explores all of the unpopular opinions, conspiracy theories, and cult leaders that make you want to scream, It It Just just Makes makes sense. Sense. I'm Sam Smith. I'm Jeff Seifert. We are back in the studio, round two. I feel like this studio isn't as, like, quiet as the other one. You don't? No. I feel like it's a little bit smaller. Oh, maybe. Yeah. But it definitely has that same, like... I like Studio <laughs> 2. We're going to have to go back. It has that heavy... Yeah, the heavy feel to it. to it. Yeah. To me. All right. Well, today, we're going to be covering... An FBI hostage story. Really? I don't know if we've ever covered one of these, like a FBI rescue story. Not that I recall. So how this sh- the show is on Paramount Plus, and how it works is they have a they have someone who was like an FBI agent for a long time. In this case, Cindy Coppola interview like FBI agents who dealt with. Like their experience in this hostage story. So oh, Cindy, I, think I saw this and I started watching one and I fell asleep. Yeah, it's pretty I hope it's good more so far. Well, Cindy has handled everything from organized crime to terrorism and finished her career in LA supervising two divisions. One was for investigations and one was for providing undercover security for special events. Okay. Do you think that my wedding would have qualified for FBI security? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so about 10 years ago, so she's interviewing Molly Amon, who was an FBI profiler in the BAU Quantico, Ooh. just like criminal, criminal minds. So 10 years ago, Molly received a call in the middle of a night that a little boy had been kidnapped and a bus driver had been killed. Really? She specialized in domestic threats, stalkers, extortionists, and active shooters. So she was, like, called to, like, come down and try to profile this person. Okay. She says that on the phone, she was told that there was a note, and they wanted to know what the profiles could profilers could make of that note. Did it say the call was coming from inside could the house? Could you imagine? <laughs> no. I and love that movie. I've never seen <gasps> any of the screams. No, that's not what it oh. is. When a stranger calls. When a stranger never calls back. It. When a stranger calls back again. No. You would love it. We're going to watch. Is it comedies? No. Then it's I don't want to watch it. It's a scary movie, but it's funny. The first one... But once you like it, <laughs> no, we're going to watch it. It's good. <laughs> and then they pick up the phone and they're like, the call is coming from inside the house. I would probably cry watching it. No, you wouldn't. I hate scary movies. Knock it off. <laughs> so one excerpt from the note is as follows. And I quote. What? I have a story to tell. I need two hostages to force the powers to be to listen. You will choose two smart, well-mannered, good kids age 6 to 10, preferably boys with no physical or mental problems. No harm will come to the kids. When the story is finished, they will go free, and then I will die. How weird is that? That's so bizarre. And that's How the bus bizar- driver? No, the bus oh. driver's dead. Oh, I So when that. she answered the phone, she said that there's a boy that's been kidnapped, held, kidnapped being held hostage, and a bus driver's dead. Oh. So then they find this note from the guy who took this child. Why do they know it's a guy? Well, it is a guy. From the person who took the child. Oh, but at this (laughs) point, they don't know that it's a guy. I don't believe so. Well, they... 
Yes, or is that they part know of the profile. They know who took him. Oh, they do. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. this all started in Dale County, Alabama, where reports were coming in that a man had shot and killed a school bus driver and taken one of the students hostage. So Bill Francis was brought in. So we're and throughout the show they're interviewing Molly and Bill. Isn't that one of Cameron's friends' names? Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. I thought so. Rugby guy? <laughs> he has 17 years' experience with the FBI focused on hostage situations. This is happening in Midland City, which is in Dale County. So the creepy part was what that this man, Jim Dykes, had befriended the bus driver, Charles Poland, by improving a turnaround on his property for the school bus. So, like, the school bus would have to come up, like, this long road because it was a very rural area. Okay. And then, like, have to, like, back all the way back down once he picked up the kids. Because I think the kids all get picked up in, like, one location, like the neighborhood kids. Interesting. So, instead, Jim Dykes, like, made a big turnaround, like, in his property so the bus could just, like, do a loop and come back and not have to, like, back up all the way. Oh. Very nice. Very event. nice, Jim. Thank Dice. you so much. So the school bus would come up the drive in the morning, reverse, and do the same thing in the reverse, afternoon. Reverse. So the bus or Jim Dykes created this turnaround. He also would come down almost every day and greet the driver and give him fresh vegetables from his property. The now Jim Dykes was like, you could tell something was like a little off. He was like a little strange, right? right. So the bus driver felt sorry for him. So he would give him things back from that his wife would make like jelly and like different baked goods. And they just had like a good relationship. So it's January 19th, 2013. It's around three o'clock and Dykes has a bag of collard greens for Charles. But instead, he drops the bag, pulls out a rigor nine millimeter and points it at Charles Poland. He hands him the note and demands two children. The same demands in the note, well-behaved, 6 to 10 years old, but Charles Poland refuses to give the kids to him. Yeah, that's fucking weird. And now you can see the film from the bus, and you can hear them, like, arguing about this. And Charles is like, these kids are my responsibility. You're not getting these kids. Like, this is not happening. What Dykes doesn't know is that there's a kid on the bus, Trey Watts, a few rows back, who is on the phone with 911. Smart kid. Good for this kid, right? Yeah. And we get like we can hear the 911 call. This this show is really good. He was telling the operator like there's someone on our bus. They're tr- he's trying to take a kid, but the the kid on the phone, he sounds like pretty calm for like being around 12, 13 years old, that's what he looks like. Like, he was like, there's someone on our bus. He's trying to take the kid. Our bus driver's not letting him. Like, we need help. But he wasn't, like, hysterical. He wasn't going crazy. It was kind of wild. Interesting. So eventually you can hear sirens in the background. And Dykes is like, come on. I don't have, like, I don't have all day. The police are coming. Give me two kids. And then Dykes just looks at him and goes, I'm going to have to shoot you now. And ultimately shoots him five times point blank right in front of 21 kids. Jeez. And they, like, show the video of it. You can't, like, see them, but you can hear the bang and, like, the gun explosion. You know what I mean? You see the flash. And then you just see, like, the kids' expressions on the bus. And they just start going hysterical. So right behind the bus driver is this little boy named Ethan. And you can hear Dyke say, like, come here, kid. And he grabs Ethan. Ethan has Asperger's syndrome, and that's why he was sitting be- right behind the bus driver in the first place, like in the front seat. And mm-hmm. he's only five years old. Aww. So Dykes throws Ethan over his shoulder and takes off off the, bu- off the bus, heading to a bunker that, it- that he had built on his property. Yikes. 
Dykes lived in a FEMA trailer, and the bunker was right behind his house. Once he's in the bunker, he does call 911. And he's like, yeah, look, I have a hostage. And the operator, you can hear, like, saying right away, I have the suspect on the phone. Like, you can hear, like, almost like she's like, okay, and can you tell me your name? And then, like, you can hear her lean back and be like, I have the suspect on the phone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was, like, crazy. And Dyke said, I'm in an underground bunker on my property. Now, first of all, could you imagine being, like, kids on that bus now? No. Like, he took Ethan, ran, and now you're just sitting on a bus with your dead bus driver. Like, what? What would you do? So if you're like seven or that's what I mean. If I was twelve, I might have ran off right, the bus. Right, right. But if younger, I was a kid, I, I would there's twenty one kids. Like that's insane. Probably be scared of the guy with the gun was like outside. Right. The bus. So now Dykes tells the nine one one operator, "Look, I won't harm the kid. I just want law enforcement to come to my house." They have to go through a gate, and there's a white PVC pipe sticking up out of the ground. If they talk into the pipe, I can hear them and they can hear me. You're what is on the, the point? phone. You're on the phone yeah. with 911. If you're Why not can't gonna... you just talk to them on the phone? I don't understand what's going on. So now I'm thinking, why does he want him on their property? Is this a trap? Like, is he trying uh, to kill them? Is this a trap? That's what it. I thought right away. Yeah. But they go and talk to him through this PVC pipe because he, like, hangs up the phone after he says that. It looks like, you know those, like, if you ever go to a playground where they have, like, those tubes that yeah, go yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, like, talk into it and you can hear on the other yeah. side. That's what it looks like. Okay. Essentially. So, essentially, what he wanted was a news reporter who he identified by name, a female reporter, to come down into the bunker. He would let Ethan go. And then he would hold the reporter's hands while he told his story and then die by suicide. What? And the FBI was like, yeah, hard no. Yeah, that's not happening. Hard no. Honestly, though, like, I want to hear a story. If I was the journalist? Like, if (laughs) I'd be like... Can I take a gun? I might go. Okay, try to tell me Barbara Walters wouldn't have gone. Oh, she would have gone. She would have went. Barbara. She would have gotten that bunker. Katie Couric. Katie Couric. A hundred percent. Like he's not threatening to Hannah. kill you. That's her he's name. Thr- Who? Savannah Guthrie. Oh, I was like, hold a copy. <laughs> they all would have done it. Nancy Grace. <gasps> Could you imagine? Could you Where's imagine? The evidence, Nancy. <laughs> she was gone. Are you kidding me? Down here in this bunker. You're a murderer. Yes, you are. Continue. That's such a good impersonation. <laughs> I loved her. Until she went crazy. She went. She went crazy. People say it's the Scott Peterson case that broke yeah, her. Yeah, I know. I know. I used to watch her somewhat really Because she was, with like, my pretty mother. normal for yeah. a bit. I think it was... And then after that, she just, like, Casey Anthony broke her. Like, oh, she, Casey <laughs> Anthony was a tough one for Na- poor Nancy. Poor Nancy. <laughs> I can't. So the bunker had one entry point, and the FBI had to get into there before anything happened to Ethan. So... After a while, essentially night falls, and Dykes is no longer talking to anyone. They figured he was asleep, and the bomb squad had arrived. They What they tried to do is, like, they tried to drive a hole into the PVC pipe and put some fiber optics down to see if they could get, like, a camera, a little camera inside of the bunker. But when they penetrate the pipe, they hit something solid, and they x-ray it, and lo and behold... A three-foot section of a pipe bomb. (gasps) Oh, my God. So 
Like they're right there talking into this pipe and it's literally a bomb that he could have set off at any time. That's wild. Right? So it's now January 30th, 2013. 300 officers have descended onto the into place. They have rigged up their own pole. So there's a speaker next to like the PVC piping. So Dykes thinks that there's someone there talking to him the entire time, but they're actually like hundreds of feet away. Okay. Which is like pretty smart, right? They wanted to get a negotiator to throw a phone into the bunker so that Dykes could call him whenever he wanted to. But like he already called 911. Why do they need another phone? Yeah, I'm not understanding this whole point. Like what could he, didn't he, he had a phone down there. But I guess they also say the FBI could then record the call, which he clearly wouldn't uh, have known. Oh, got it. So Dykes did agree and he opens the hatch just like a little bit to accept the phone. But this also gave the FBI kind of like reassurance, like, okay, he lifted the hatch once. We can definitely get him to do this again, right? Okay. But honestly, the FBI were a little nervous because Dykes didn't really need them. He had water for weeks, food for weeks. He had a bucket in there for a toilet, ventilation, and he knew he had enough food for six to eight weeks. Like, he had planned for this. Oh, he knew it was coming. So, like mentioned before, Ethan... Um, had Asperger's syndrome, as well as some other conditions that he needed medication for. So as Ethan got harder and harder to manage on Dyke's end, the police used that to their advantage and was like, listen, we have medication for Ethan that he needs, things that will help him manage his behavior that you clearly need and want as well. Like this kid's getting unruly. Let it help us to help you. Right. If you let us deliver this medicine twice a day, this will keep him calm. And Dykes was like, cool, anything to keep keep him calm, keep him calm bring All it right. on. So now he's cracking the hatch open at least a little bit a couple times a day. So the next thing the FBI needed to do was clear the land and make sure there was no IED devices on the property. And they did. They brought in canines, explosive detection, but there was nothing between the bunker and the PVC pipe bomb. They did find hundreds of like shotgun shells, like PVC pipes, receipts for bicycle chains, propane tanks, like all this crazy shit, but there was no bombs. Okay. So they also did something where the guy who delivered the medicine, he had a pin-sized camera in his gloves. So every time he reached Uh, down to give Dykes the medication, they could get intel into the bunker that way. That's some like MacGyver shit right there. And like you figure this all out in like three days. 007. Oh my God. It's literally been three days. Wow. So the FBI is trying to do a planned assault. They wanted their own area to practice this. And the only way to do this was in a building across the street. The local strip club. (gasps) (laughs) So within hours, they had a full scale mock-up of the bunker built in the parking lot of the strip club. Really? Isn't that crazy? Try to tell me that these officers were not having the strippers oh, in the won't. bunker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> for sure. We need some backup. For, for weeks after, yeah, they're like, can't go home yet. <laughs> so while this work is getting done, Molly the profiler was working on a profile of Dykes. She said at first, watching the videos from the bus, the profile was rather alarming. She saw that Dykes wasn't getting what he wanted, and he knew that time was ticking. Nothing was going according to plan, but he stayed on mission. He already committed one homicide, so she knew he could do it again. 
In a confrontation, he would use lethal force against the FBI. He just wanted to tell his story, so he claims, right? He believed that if his story got told, how systematic injustices against the little guy by those with celebrity, power, and money was keeping him down. I can't with these people. He hated any aspect of the government or establishment that affected him. So we're headed into day four, but we start to see a change in his behavior thus far. In the four days that Dykes had Ethan, he has treated him fairly well. He's fed him, helped him go to the bathroom, brush his teeth. When Ethan would cry, Dykes would try to comfort him. But the entire time, the FBI FBI was still looking for opportunities to get inside. One of them comes from the police officer that was going to, to the hatch to bring the medicine for Ethan. He was complaining to Dykes how heavy the hatch was. He would have to squat down and lift it up three to four inches, and it was just so goddamn heavy. Dykes then explained that he that he had a frame that he can help attach to springs so it'll make it easier on the deputy to lift the f- hatch. What an idiot. That is, he like, is pretty fucking stupid. Right. Like, you didn't know that that was, like, a ploy for something? Or even if it wasn't. I don't think it was. I think the guy was literally just complaining. Really? Yeah, because that guy was like, we didn't, like, plan for him to say that. I think he was just literally complaining, like, what the fuck, man? This is so heavy. Oh. And so, like, the FBI was, like, perfect target of opportunity. So the negotiators would talk to Dykes accept his offer to assist with attaching the springs to the hatch. In doing so, he would have to lift the hat lift up the hatch from underneath. Like he'd have to lift it with his arms up. Yeah. So you'd have to be somewhat close to the top of the ladder and the right. steps to like help this guy. And like in a compromising situation where they could like grab him, right. shoot him, right. arrest him. So the FBI had an assaulter staged right at the edge of the hatch, right at the lip, and their objective was to to if they can get a clear shot on Dykes to take it, but it had to be a kill shot. They were inches from getting a clean shot on Dykes and ending this on day five. But in those like s- seconds, Dykes viewed a gun barrel before anyone could shoot him. He slammed the hatch down immediately, and this spiraled him out of control. Mm. So he was like, "Wow, okay, so y'all trying to kill me." Fuck this. You'll be held accountable for all of your own goddamn fucking actions. So soon after this, Dykes gave them a deadline. He said, if by tomorrow at 530, you guys don't give me what I want, you motherfuckers will be responsible for what happens. Uh It's now February 3rd, 2013, day six. Nothing was dislodging Dykes from insisting that he had to tell his story. But who is Dykes? At his core, who is this man? He had no friends. He had lost contact with his family. He also, like, one thing he kept saying is that he, like, redacted his identity as a Southerner, which, like, mm. <laughs> right, like, Real. like, I think, I don't know if he means, like, he views the South as more conservative and he views himself as liberal. I don't know. Interesting. Right. See, that's why we needed Nancy Grace down there. uh, What do you mean? (laughs) Tell me. But, like, also, when you isolate yourself that much, nothing good comes from that, right? Mm -hmm. It's a risk-enhancing factor for violence, isolation. He was a Navy veteran who had served in the late 60s and even received awards for good, good, um, like, behavior and good contact within the military. One of his neighbors, however, reported that 
he had beat her dog to death with a pipe because the dog kept going into his yard. And here's the thing. Like, it's not that he was violent. It wasn't just violent, but he was what the FBI calls a violent promise keeper. So in that instance where he killed the dog, he had told the woman, if your dog comes over to my yard again, I will kill it. And then the dog came over to the yard again and he, and he killed, killed it. it. So like he he doesn't what they're saying is that it's not like he just randomly attacks people. He's not violent in that nature. But if you piss him off and he, he makes a threat, he will do it. Through. He's going to follow through. And like to me, that's like more scary. I, I don't know. Mean, just don't get on his bad side. Seriously, right? don't piss him off. Send him Nancy Grace. Like I, I mean, don't... he tells you what not to do. Right. Don't do it. Right. And my thing is, if they're saying this, and right, I don't want to send someone into like into a compromising situation. But if he's saying like, I'm not going to hurt this child. I just want a reporter to come down, tell my story, and then I'm going to kill myself. Send him down. Send him down. You said he's a promise keeper. Like how? Oh, because he asked for a specific reporter. Yeah, he asked for a specific person. Like, couldn't they just send like an FBI agent right. to pose as right. a reporter? Yeah. I'm like, Ugh, whatever. So in a sense, if you did something against him or caused him to want to do something against you, he's going to do it. So, however, when he says things like, I'm going to take down the government, he means it. Oh. Or when he says, ne- like, you know what I mean? He, yeah. he doesn't make idle threats. So he, he saw himself as a lifetime victim of constant injustices. And he had a rigid, psychological, and brittle type of personality. I'm sorry, he's a middle-aged white man. You. Yeah. I mean, I'm staring at Cry. one right now. Bitch, I am not middle-aged. <laughs> you bitch. I mean, technically, we're middle-aged. I mean, I'm probably middle-aged. I, I'm saying with my, my, my life. life my life's probably halfway over. That's what I'm saying. Maybe a little bit less than halfway. <laughs> so what are the next steps for the FBI? Tell me. There were some misconceptions that he genuinely cared for Ethan and wouldn't harm him. But again, the FBI profilers are like, this isn't true. He did ask, like, what they're saying is like, yes. Like, the police officers are like, but he's asking him for, like, he wanted to bring him coloring books and crayons and he's keeping him alive. And it's like, yeah. He has no empathy, though. There's no way that he could have a genuine emotional attachment. They just didn't think that this was true for Ethan. Their concern was that he was that Ethan was forming a bond with Dykes. Uh, and this is a critical moment for rescues because Ethan could run in the wrong direction. So at one point he had told the FBI that he had taught Ethan how to detonate the IED that if Dykes were to be shot or he died, he instructed Ethan to set it off. And that's like very concerning because if this child is forming a bond with him, he has Asperger's, like he does it. He doesn't realize that's the wrong thing to do. And they don't mention this here and it might not play a part in any of this, but I'm going to say it. Ethan was in the foster care system. And so I don't know if that plays a role into him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just concerning. So the FBI were becoming less and less confident that they were going to have a peaceful ending. They talked to his adult daughters, which like this is the first time you're mentioning this guy has kids. Who did he procreate with? Yeah. And and why like why haven't they brought them in to like talk to him? Right. That's the thing. So they want to, but the his daughters wanted nothing to do with the situation. They're honestly like they 
first they were scared that if they got involved, it would anger his dad. They're like, we don't know if it's going to set him off and like make him do something that's that, fair. right? And the profiles were like, we get, the profilers were like, we get that. That's fair. I was like, fine. But one of the daughters eventually agreed to come to the city and speak to him. She was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Again, he hasn't spoken to he hasn't she hasn't spoken to him in over twenty years. Like he is oh. cut off communication. Well, yeah, then I probably wouldn't want to get involved either. Right. But she said that she had a son the same age as Ethan, so she was willing to do it. So they set up a call between the two of them. She, again, hasn't seen his dad in years. Could you imagine? I'd be so nervous. Yeah. And he's got a kid Also, they said they set it up on computers like Zoom. He had a computer in the... I think they gave it to him, like in the little hatch. They slid a computer. They're giving this man a lot of shit. Uh, I can barely get Wi-Fi in an office. (laughs) He gets it in his fucking bunker? I mean, who does he like, have? I, it's not Verizon Files. That's what I'm saying. Fuck, it's not Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> so Ethan would have to be away from the computer, and Dykes would have to go up the stairs and away from him to get the computer. Like, that was the thing. They wanted a sudden computer in because Dykes would have to, like, go up and reach for it. This is the first time that he would have to, like, actually get, it, yeah. get an item, right? So this is how the FBI was hoping to do a rescue. They practiced this in the fake bunker they created over and over and over again. And they started to move forward this with this plan on February 4th, day 7. The FBI put their gear on, got their weapons, and got into position. The first part was to deliver toys to Ethan. The deputy brought it up like always, yelled to Dykes. Dykes undid the hatch a couple of inches. They also got a visual on Ethan. He was far away from the hatch as he could be. The second thing they wanted to do was to lure Dyke up the hatch and the stairs. So they start to lower the computer monitors to him, or like the laptop to him. They held it up kind of high so he would have to reach for it. He starts to lower the laptop in there, but Dyke starts to yell, I need more slack. So they had like a rope attached to the Uh, laptop and it wouldn't go down anymore. And the deputy's like, listen, that's all it'll go. Like you'll have to reach up. You have to reach up further to get it. And they see a hand emerge from the hatch. And at that point, they signal to everyone and they execute a charge. But a like a bomb goes off to explode the top off off the hatch. They run into the hatch with an access bar t- so this guy could like roll himself down. And a second guy goes right like down into him. So two guys drop down right into the hatch. Okay. But the first guy that drops down into the hatch gets stuck. Unbeknownst to them, Dykes had a second trap about six feet down. And it was a man trap that they didn't know about. So now, like, he's, like, trapped in this little hole. But Dykes can still, like, get to them. So he's shooting at them (gasps) from around a corner about, like, literally three to four feet away. He's just shooting blind around a corner. I'm like, what? But miraculously, no one got shot. And the guys were able to pull themselves out of the bunker and the medic to see, like, they got him a medic to see if he had been shot, right? Mm -hmm. They tried to get a dog to go down into the bunker because now the hatch is blown off. But this dog was like, fuck off, fuck you, hell no. He wouldn't even go near it. Refused. (laughs) So they start throwing flash, like, small flash pipe bombs at into the bunker so that they can keep, they're trying to keep their attention away from Ethan and like on this attack of what's happening so that Dykes won't like attack Ethan. 
Then they hear a huge explosion behind them, which was surprising to me because remember when they said they couldn't find any bombs? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He exploded an IED all around them. So the number one Dude, guy... this guy is crafty right, as hell. Right. So the this, number one guy that had been gotten shot out went back towards the hatch, and when the IED went off, he dropped straight down into the bunker. And he had his handgun in his hand, but when he falls, the gun drops out of his hand, and he says, like, it's I can only see smoke and black. Like, there's nothing I can do. He can't see anything. But he just started reaching out anywhere he could, and eventually he says he feels like what he knew was a small child. So he just, like, wrapped his body around what he thinks is a small child. Yeah. And another guy comes down after him um, to get into the bunker. And that guy just lunged into the darkness and starts a hand-to-hand combat with Dykes. The second guy is able to get a a shot off with his pistol. And then a third guy enters into the bunker and starts shooting. And that was when they ended it with a kill shot. And the first guy, he did have his body around Ethan. So how? They're just shooting in the dark? Yeah. In the complete dark, because they kept throwing like smoke bomb and pipe bombs into the bunker, so there's but just like, sh- like smoke everywhere. This sounds illogical to me. How did they know that they weren't aimed at and their? And how partner? did no one get shot? Yeah. And how is Ethan okay? How was Jim Dykes the only one that got shot? Uh, there's some kind of conspiracy I- shit here. <laughs> I don't believe that this is the way it went down. So Ethan was extracted from the hole unharmed. All he had was a small scratch on his leg. But could you imagine being that kid? And no. the therapy he will need. Seriously? The bus, the bunker? Uh, that, right? So the Alabama Criminal Code now forbids trespassing on a school bus, which I didn't know they had to put into law, <laughs> under the Charles Poland Act of 2013. Aww. And the local highway is also named after Poland. Um, Ethan is doing great. He has very few memories of what happened. He's super bright, well-adjusted kid. He was yeah, adopted. Five, I right. guess. You but might. still. I mean, I don't remember much before kindergarten. I don't remember much before high school, <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been adopted by his foster family foster. and still lives in the community. How do you say it? Foster. Foster. What did I say? Foster. I do say foster. Whatever. Just and <laughs> and the bunker where he was held hostage has been demolished. Very nice. Wasn't that a wild that was one? Wild. Like I just a how did I not hear about it? 2013. Seriously, that seems like that would have been a big deal, right? For being maybe down there it for a few was, days. But I guess like I remember baby Jessica down in the well. Oh, yeah. way more than this poor or those, Ethan or that poor soccer team, right? That was the, trapped in the, the Chilean miners. And no, but wasn't that in Asia? Yeah, but wasn't Chilean miners stuck in Chile? Oh, didn't I the I don't know. Yeah, there was like a huge movie about that. Oh, really? Hmm. Poor Ethan. Poor Ethan. Where's Charles Poland's movie? Dedicating his life to the kids. Anyways, that's crazy. That was a good one. Because it's probably like it's another crazy white man trying to like do it. Don't want to give anyone else ideas. (laughs) I get it. But I mean, 2013. I think Nancy Grace was still on TV. It's only 10 years ago. She probably covered it, and we just. I know, probably. I mean, 10 years ago was a wild time for us. Ten years ago, 2013, I was. We 20. just met, right? No, no it I was, was two years. Two years after we met, I was. I kicked that closet I, door down, <laughs> and I was. Whew. 
Are you a through it? Yeah, I know. I think I was in the thralls of my tumultuous relationship with a man up north. I had just met Cameron. Yeah, so wild times. Wild times. All right, guys, let us know what you think. If you had heard of this story, if you knew about it. Yeah, did anyone know about that? Yeah, let us know. Jump in the Facebook group. It just makes sense. Facebook discussion group. Follow us on Instagram. It just makes sense. Podcast. Slide into the DMs. Slide to my DMs. Sam Smith says. Slide to Jeff. One F and Jeff. That's the number one in F Jeff. One F and Jeff. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.